John chapter 10. The book of John chapter 10. Before we begin, I'd like to start with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we ask you to come and fellowship with us this morning. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit upon each of us, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, and that all we do would be to your glory and honor. We praise you and we lift you up, Father. We pray that you would send your spirit. We pray that your your son would be raised in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of John, chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25. We'll be reading 25 through 30 with a focus on the last three verses. Starting in verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not, because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. There are a lot of sermons that are packed into this set of scriptures. As a matter of fact, if you look up the passage online, there are hundreds of sermons based around this set of scriptures. I want to I focus on the last three verses here. If we'll zoom in on verse 28. Verse 28, Jesus says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus here plainly uh, is painting a picture of his Father being the one holding the children of God. And he plainly states that no man can pluck a believer from his hand. And that his Father, which is greater than he is, who gave us to Christ, he has his hand, and absolutely no one can pluck anyone out of his hand. And J.C. made this example before. It's almost as if you've got the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've got the hand of the Father, and there is nobody in there that is going anywhere. Right? Nobody can pluck anyone out of the hands of of our wonderful God. So we learn here that God is, is holding each of us in His hand, and He will not let His people go. He will not let His people go. We are secure in the hands of an almighty, sovereign God. He will never let us out of His grip, ever. Ever. This morning, in the little time that we have, I would like to... Uh, to speak on being held by God. We will start with what it means to be held by Him and what it means for us to hold Him because there are several tenses and several ways spoken in the Bible about who's holding who. Um, but we'll start basically with what it means to hold. And I know Webster's 1828 dictionary is one of the best dictionary 
uh, that's ever existed, in my humble opinion. If you don't have one, I highly suggest that you really try to find one. They have an online version. They have an app version. There's an app for that. But, but to get a hold of the book, it is one of the best books for definitions because it is biblical. He uses scripture. And we're going to prove that here. In Webster's 1828, the word hold, the word hold, is defined, and he uses in one uh, page, well, three pages, he t- does the term hold and held. So the active and the past, and the and the, the present tense and the past tense. It, it means to stop or to confine, to retain from escape, to keep fast, to retain. And I want to point out this was the most important thing to think about here. It rarely or never signifies the first act of seizing or falling upon. It, never, it rarely or never means the first act of getting a hold of something, but the act of restraining a thing once it is seized or in, in your control. To grasp is to seize, or to keep fast in the hand. To hold coincides with grasp, but only in the latter sense. Never in the former, uh, but, but not in the former. So not the, not the, it, to hold is not to grab a hold of someone. It's once you grab a hold of someone is to hold them and not let them go. That's what he's saying. So, right, we hold a horse by a bridle. Right, you have this thing, it had to be put on, but you're holding him by the bridle. You didn't put it on to hold him. It's on and you're holding him by the bridle. Another one is an anchor holds a ship in her station. So the anchor drops. The hold isn't the act of the anchor dropping. It's what happens after it drops. It holds it there. To embrace and confine with bearing or lifting up. So uh, his example is we hold an orange in the hand or a child in the arms. Gravity works, right? So you're upholding an orange or upholding a child in your arms. To connect or to keep from separation. When you're holding on to someone, there's no separation because you're holding on to that thing. There is no separation. That's the purpose of holding it, that you're keeping it from being separated. To maintain as an opinion. As, and, and these are his words, not mine, I promise. This was in the 1828 is he holds the doctrine of justification by free grace. His words, not mine, I promise. Look it up. He holds the doctrine of justification by free grace. So it's an opinion as well. It's to hold an opinion as well. To consider or to regard, to think, to judge. That is, to have in the mind, the Lord will not hold them guiltless that takes his name in vain, according to Exodus 20. Also his reference. To contain or to have capacity to receive and contain. Such as, here is an empty basket that will hold two bushels. Right? So they give you an empty basket and the basket's empty. There's nothing in it. But it has the ability to hold something. Right? Or like a, a cask. An empty cask will hold up to 30 gallons. There's nothing in it right now, but it has the ability to do that. To defend to keep possession, to maintain, such as in battle. They tell you to take that hill and you hold it. You don't let it go. That's my reference. That's not his. 
To hold that ill and not let it go. To hold on to it. To refrain or to stop. To restrain, to withhold. To hold your laughter, hold your tongue. Hold your opinions to yourself. To hold back. To refrain that thing. To last. To endure. We now call it, we now say to hold out. So you hold out to the end. Or to continue. It also means to proceed on course. So hold course. You're in a ship and you tell someone to hold course. They're going to hold or stay on the course that it's traveling. They're not going to deviate from the course it's set. These are but a few of the many listed examples. There were at least 20 to 25 other words. A lot of them were, are starting to overlap. So I chose these as the ones that really stood out. But there was at least 20 to 25 more references. As you can see, this word has a myriad of uses for the idea of holding or to be held. We know that God holds His people in His hand. We read the Scripture and the Scripture says so. But not just by this Scripture. There are a few other Scriptures that we can read to show this truth. I did a cursory study on just the two words, hold and held. In the KJV, I got a lexicon, and I found all the verses that have either the version of the word hold or held. Now, there's different Hebrews and there's different Greeks, so they have different meanings in their contexts. So, putting context aside, I'm just talking about the word to be held or to hold something. Right? So, putting the context aside, because there's a reason that they use the Hebrew word for hold or held that they did... Putting that aside, I'm only talking about these two words as they're written in the King James Bible. I found that hold is used 182 times in our Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. And that held is used 52 times in the Bible. Now, of the 182 times that hold is used, I only found five of them that refers to God holding on to us. All other references that I found, they have to do with us holding on to something. Holding our tongues, holding our anger, holding our derision, holding our preferences. We're holding something. But there's five that refer to God holding us. Of the 52 times that held is used, only one of them refer to us being held by God. Now this is just a cursory study I did. If I'm wrong, please go back, find it, and tell me if I'm wrong. But of these, I found one of God being held. Using this specific word. Right? I'm not talking about all of, like, our verse here we'll get to here in a minute. But of using these words, this one time for held. All the rest refer to the past tense, because held is past tense. The past tense of us holding something. Either we held our tongues, we held our anger, we held our derision, or we held our peace, right? As he held his peace, meaning that he didn't get into an argument with somebody that was irrelevant, right? They brought up something, and there are plenty of times that it's used in the Bible where somebody says something, and then somebody holds their peace because it's not really worth the fight, right? You, you always heard, pick your battles, right? Well, it's the same way with God's word. You pick your battles. But of those... The, all the other times were in reference to those. Now, uh, I want to look at these references. We're going to look at 
There's only six of them, so there's only a few of them, so we're going to look at these references. We're going to start in the book of Isaiah, chapter 27. We're going to start in Isaiah, chapter 27, if you would turn there in your Bibles. Isaiah, chapter 27. And we're going to start in verse 5. Isaiah, chapter 27, and verse 5. God here... He's speaking of defeating Satan in the verse 1 and through 4. He's speaking of defeating Satan uh, in the previous verses as well as who can stand against him, right? Who can stand against God? And he makes this statement about man or, if we read in verse 5, or let him take hold of my strength. This is God speaking. Or let him, man, take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me. And he shall make peace with me. So it says here that who can do this? Well, the absolute answer is no one can. I mean, he's God, right? The absolute answer is no one can. But he makes a very clear statement after saying, or if he does, and makes peace with me. But then he says, but he will, and he shall make peace with me. Now, he doesn't say how. He made it very clear in the statement before that it wasn't going to be by grabbing a hold of his strength and making peace with God. You're not going to get a hold of God to make peace with God. God's going to get a hold of you, and then you're going to make peace with God. There will be a difference there. But I love the Old Testament where one verse says one thing, but then another one shows you that it's still going to happen, right? He says, no man can get a hold of me and take care of my strength so that he makes peace with me. However, man will make peace with me. How do you rectify that without the New Testament? Now, I don't want to pick on the Jews, but how do you rectify that without the New Testament? How do you put that together without Jesus teaching that I came for this purpose? It's really, no wonder the Jews are under so much bondage. No wonder they had so many rules. No wonder they put so many things together to try to make them. He says we will. He didn't say How? I know it's not because I grabbed his strength. And they believe that, uh, that God is merciful. They believe that God is merciful and loving. They just have no New Testament to prove it yet. They have the hope of a Messiah that to them hasn't come yet. But the way they believe in the Messiah is that he's going to come, set up the kingdom, and they're all going to rule. They completely missed a lot of other scriptures which we've spoken about before, and which J.C. has shown us now. But how do you rectify these kind of things without the New Testament? You can't. Go on to, to uh, chapter 41, if you would, of the same Isaiah, chapter 41, if you would, turn there. We'll be in Isaiah 41, we'll start in verse 13. God hears, uh, it says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold... Here's that word, hold. Thy right hand. Saving, saying unto thee, fear not, I will keep thee. For the Lord thy God, for I the Lord thy God will hold thy right hand. You ever go walking down the street with your mom or dad when you were little? And they had a hold of your hand. Now when you were really little, that didn't bother you so much. Right? That didn't bother you at all because you really felt this comfort holding their hand because you were in a strange place. You didn't know where you were. 
right? It was Walmart. It was where you'd been every week, but it was a strange place. You didn't know what was going on, and your mother put all these scary stories in your head about somebody taking you, and so you were happy to hold her hand. But what happened as you got older? Well, you kind of grew out of that, right? And you kind of grew out of that. But think about this. Our Father in heaven will hold your right hand. He's going to hold you. In the next chapter, verse, uh, chapter 42, in verse 6, he says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. For a light of the Gentiles. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. This is one of the very few references that you'll find in the Old Testament where God says that the Jews are going to be the ones to lead the Gentiles into glory. I'm going to make you a light for the Gentiles. You will be the one who opens their eyes. To be a light is like, you know, as a church, we're called to be a lighthouse on a hill. It's the same idea. The Jews were going to be the light of the world to all of the Gentiles, to everybody that did was not believing in their God. They were going to be a light to the Gentiles. But you get a Jew who reads that scripture right there, and he almost wants to vomit about how God could somehow offer something to this nasty Gentile nation. As if somehow we don't deserve to ever have the Lord on our side. But he is, is he just the God of the Jews? Or is he the God of this world? He's showing them that he is the God of the world. They were to be a light for the Gentiles. The one place where it's rendered held will go into Psalms chapter 94. Psalms chapter 94. Psalms chapter 94, and we're going to read in verse 18. This is the only place that I could find where he, had, uh, he has held us. This is the, uh, this is the past tense of, of hold. He said, when I said my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. Right? So his mercy holds us every single day. I was telling Zachary this morning, his mercies are new every day. Isn't that just amazing? Isn't that just tremendous? I don't know about you, because I woke up and I told the Lord I was doing great. Everything was fine. I hadn't sinned. I hadn't yelled. I hadn't said a single word. But I'm about to get out of bed. And when I get out, I'm really going to need your help, Father. I'm really going to need it. Right? The minute we stand up, we start with our day as if somehow, you know, we're on a, a train wreck course to find a way to just tear our lives apart. We just are. That's the way we're designed. We're human. Thank God his mercies are new every single day and his mercy is there to hold us up. Remember when we talked about that orange to hold us up? He holds us up from falling down. Utterly falling down. He's going to let us trip and fall, but he's not going to let us utterly fall to our, to our damnation. He won't. Further on in Psalm, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And it's a big psalm. We're going to go to 117. Psalm 
Psalm 119 and 17. Here we find David asking for the Lord to hold him up. So here we find David saying, Hold thou me up and I shall be safe, and I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. David himself knew that he was held by God. David himself knew that he needed God to hold him, that no one else could do it. He couldn't grab his own bootstraps and get himself stood up, and he didn't stay in a Holiday Inn Express. There was no way for him to do it on his own. He didn't all of a sudden become a child of God. He was a child of God from his birth, and he knew it. And he knew that God was holding him up. In Psalm 139... In chapter 139, Psalm 139, in verse 10. 139, verse 10, he says, Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Shall hold me. I don't know about you, but everything I've been taught about the right hand of God is a, is a good thing. Everything that, that's been talked that I've learned about the right hand of God has always been perfection and, and, and comfort and, and, and beauty and loveliness. Everything about his right hand is beautiful, and he's going to hold me with his right hand. I'm sure there are many other references to him holding his people in the Bible. But these are the only ones with the word hold or held, right? But like in our beginning scripture. In John chapter 10, back there if you would. In John chapter 10, our beginning scripture. He states that we're in his hand without actually saying we're in his hand. He says that we're in his hand by stating that no man can pluck us from his hand. Therefore, we would have to be in his hand so that no man could pluck us out of his hand. So, without saying that he's holding us, he's holding us in his hand. So I'm sure there are many other scriptures in the Bible that teach God holding us this way, right? Not necessarily using the word hold or held. I just did the word search to kind of open our minds to the idea of God is holding us. He uses the word hold or held in the King James Bible over one, you know, 182 times one way and, and what, 52 times the other, right? But only five in one and one of the other are talking about God holding us. There are plenty of other scriptures in the Bible about God holding us, brethren. I'm certain of it. And they use it in this manner. Therefore, we have to be in his hand so that no one is able to pluck us from it. So I'm sure there are many more references just like this one. I find it funny that a lot of people that I speak with, when I do talk to people about the Lord, which is a lot rarer, I think, than it should be, they talk about jumping out of his hand. Like, yeah, no one can pluck me out of his hand, but I can jump out if I choose to do so. What part of any man did you not catch? What part of any man did you miss? Are you not a man? Or a woman who's also of the same species of being man? You're not going to jump out of there. No man can pluck them out, and by implication, pluck themselves out of his hand. It's not possible. And it's mostly those that believe in the free will and the easy believism that I talk to that have some sort of, of easy believism and they're like, well, you know, 
I could if I wanted, and it, I normally follow up with then, then do it. Of course, then they always follow up with, well, you know, I don't really want to, but if I did, you know, and my answer is if you did, you couldn't, because no man can. No man can pluck you from the hand of God, and that includes yourself. Now, I'm not saying that just because you're in the hand of God, now you could go do whatever you want and get away with it. That's a terrible heart. That's not a heart of a child of God. The heart of the child of God sees that he has the ability to do it without ever losing his salvation, and he hates every single sin that he does. He sins more than he wants to. I sin more than I want to. It grieves my heart. I just continue to beg him to forgive me. That's all we can do. We're instructed to hold on to him as well, though. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about us holding on to him as well. There are a few references that state that we should hold on to him. Let's go back to our references here. We'll go to First uh, Timothy chapter 6 first. We'll be in First Timothy for both references. First Timothy chapter 6. Hold your places there and I think we'll get back to that. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. He says here, Paul is talking to Timothy, the young preacher. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That's the same word, hold. That word hold, the, the Greek there, is the same Greek that's held back in our passage. Hold. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So he talks here about holding on to something, right? Laying hold of what? Laying hold of eternal life. Who is eternal life? Jesus Christ is eternal life. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There is no life but by the Son of God. There is no other life but by the Son of our Holy God, Jesus Christ. Right? But he says, lay a hold of eternal life. So that means you've been given something. Right? Remember, we talked about hold. It's never the initial. It's the after the fact. So you've been given something. And you're to hold on to it. Right? Let's go on to verse 19. A couple of verses down later, verse 19. He says, uh, Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. That they may lay hold. To hold on to what they've been given. It's eternal life that they've been given. To lay a hold of it. In the verses beforehand, Paul was telling Timothy to charge those that were rich, those that had things, those that were given things. They were things given to them by God. To take... And the way that God gives to them, give generously to others. Lay up for themselves in heaven for this purpose. To lay a hold of eternal life. Your things are not going to give you eternal life. There is no way that here on the face of this earth, we are going to come up with a way to live eternally. There's only one way to live eternally. And that is to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. Live a life for God. 
and be glorified at the end of days to live eternally with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only eternal life there ever will be, ladies and gentlemen. There will never be any other form of eternal life. Ever. That is it. So we are instructed to hold on to Him as well. But sometimes I feel like that we have this picture in our mind of holding on to Him like we're holding on to this pull-up bar. Right? Like somehow we're holding on to this pull-up bar or we're holding on to a, 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 the side of a ship or we're holding on to something like we have this deep, dark chasm below us. And if we let go, that somehow we're going to fall into this big abyss. Like we have to hold on and hold on with everything we have because if we let go, somehow that's going to ruin the whole work. Right? It's done. It's over with because I can't hold on. Remember who's, who's holding who here? Remember back in our scripture, back in John, it says that we're in his hand. There's no deep, dark chasm beneath us. This is, where are you going to fall? Are, are you going to fall down to the pits of hell? I, I don't think so. I think not. I think you're going to fall right into the hand of God. I mean, he's holding you. Where are you going to fall? You know, I, this is a terrible example. I really, really think this is a bad example, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Do you ever, you ever, remember when you was a kid when you learned how to ride a bike? First time, for your, your dad's out there with you and, and you're trying to learn how to ride a bike. Your dad's holding on to the back of that bike, right? Did he ever let you fall on purpose? <laughs> I'm going to say on purpose because I'm talking, about, I'm talking about our earthly fathers here. I'm not talking about our heavenly father. Did he ever let you fall on purpose? I mean, I, don't think, I can't think of any father that ever would just push him down just to, that's how the crash is, so get up and try not to, you know, I just don't see that happening. They're going to learn how to crash on their own, try to help them up, right? And I know it's a terrible example, but our God is much better than that, right? But, but do you remember that feeling that you had? You're sitting on the bicycle and nothing is wrong because dad's got me right there. Nothing is going to, nothing can happen to me. You ha it's your first, I'm talking about your very first time because after you fall that kind of goes away a little bit. But the first time you're on the bicycle and you know dad's got that bike and you know you're not going anywhere. That feeling, that's what I'm talking about. Multiply that by infinity and there you have it. That's our father. That's him holding us. Praise God, brother. I think of holding on to God, it should feel more like a hug or an embrace. Not a holding on for dear life. You know, when, you know that feeling when you first step onto a boat or a ship or a really, really high monument or building, you get up to the top, you know that, that feeling of terror that you, well, most of us get that feeling of terror because you're so high up and you grab the steady things that are around you, right? You, you're grabbing onto stuff. You don't want to let it go because, I mean, you, you grab tightly because being on the precipice of, of looking down or looking at these, this large, it's an unnerving, right? It's not natural. It's not something you do every single day, especially if you get on like a boat or a large ship like a cruise. Right? Those things really tend to rock a lot. You know, I've been on a really big ship out in the middle of the ocean. 
But it gets kind of sickening after a while. <laughs> the motion will really, it'll either put you to sleep or it'll make you sick. Put me to sleep. A lot of my friends got sick. I couldn't understand why. But you got that movement and you're not used to it, so you're holding on to stuff. We want to make sure that we don't fall off, right? We're grabbing a hold of things. But eventually, as you stand there for longer periods of time, you start to trust your footing, right? You start to realize that you can follow the rock of the boat, and you're not having to hold on to things as much. You still kind of stumble. It's still fumble. It's kind of fun to watch the first three days I hear of a cruise. I know the first four days of us being on ship was funnier than anything I'd ever seen. You know, I'd seen a bunch of drunk Marines that didn't even look like that. That was even funnier than a bunch of drunk Marines. But when you finally, after a while, get your footing, you tend to start letting go of that railing. Or if you've been up on the tall monument for a while, you tend to not worry about the railing as much because you realize that your footing is sure or the cliff face that you're standing on, it's not going to fall. Everything is, it's holding like it's supposed to. Well... Eventually, you start to trust your footing, and some of us, and this is the Christian life, some of us, it's too much. We start to trust in our own footing a lot more than we should, right? And, but some of us, not enough. Some of us tend to walk around the whole boat with one hand on the rail at all times, or walk around, around the, the building holding onto a rail no matter where they're, where they're, where they're at, They'll hold on to the rail, but then there's others who feel so free that they run right up to the very edge and they throw a stick to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. They run right up to the very edge because they're not scared. But it should be something of comfort, not of fear, those things. That's what I'm saying. Us holding on to the Lord, it should not be this fearful thing that we're worried about letting go and something happened because I let go. Now it's all ruined. And now the God's not going to save me. Now all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I've got this free fall down to hell. No, you're going to automatically abruptly stop in the hand of God. You're not going anywhere. He's holding you. Now we're to hold on to Him. But it's, it's, this, it's this embrace. That's the hold. It's the retain, right? It's that thing where we get it so we should retain it. Not that we should hold on for dear life because something could happen if we accidentally let go. No, it's to be this loving embrace and this fellowship with our God. That's what it's to feel like. Besides which, when you grasp that hard, what are you really holding on to? Are you holding on to Him or are you holding on to you? We tend to hold on to ourselves for a lot longer than we really should. As a matter of fact... That's what he spends most of our lives teaching us to let go. When I hear about them doing away with what is you to conform you to the image of Christ, I think of this. I think of you holding yourself. You are holding on to you. And he has to bring you through these trials and these tribulations and these things that he's bringing you through for the sole purpose of teaching you to let go of yourself a little more at a time and depend more on him holding you. Once you've let go of yourself enough, then you can start the confirmation process because you're not holding on to you, you're holding on to him. We have to be taught to let go of ourselves. But we tend to do this very little at a time. We tend to do it in little bits. That's why we go through these trials. 
You need to depend on me. I know I need to depend on you, but I've got this under control. God, I don't need it. It's okay. I've got this. Really? Oh, I need you, Father. I'm so sorry. I need you more than anything. Why did you think you went through that trial? I'm preaching to me. <laughs> I'm not just preaching to everybody else. Why do you think I put you through that trial, son? You needed to learn that you need me. I don't need you. You need me. We tend to grab on and hold on to ourselves so tight that really our world gets so small. Right? Because my world is right here. This is what I'm holding on to. Nothing out here matters. Because I'm holding on so tight to what I've got right here that I don't want to let go because I'm so scared that I'm going to be letting go of God. But when actually what it is, is I'm just holding on to God. I'm not embracing and grasping and holding. I'm holding. I'm refraining from him leaving. I'm holding him close to me. I'm not grasping with all I've got. As if there's no chance for tomorrow. There's this beautiful song that I listen to. It really brings me a lot of comfort. And I hope I can get through this. It gives me a lot of comfort, actually. And it's the whole reason for this sermon, actually. It's called uh, Just Be Held, which is the title of my sermon this morning. It's to just be held. It's a song that sung by a band named Casting Crowns. It's contemporary Christian. Um, that's, I love listening to traditional hymns and contemporary Christian. That's my genre that I love to listen to more than anything in the world, uh, especially nowadays in the times we're living in. But it says, I'll read the verses first and then we'll talk about the chorus. But the verses go to something kind of like this. It says, hold it all together. Everybody needs you strong. But life hits you out of nowhere and barely leaves you holding on. And when you're tired of fighting... Chained by your control, there's freedom in surrender. Lay it down and let it go. If your eyes are on the storm, you'll wonder if I love you still. But if your eyes are on the cross, you'll know I always have and I always will. And not a tear is wasted. In time, you'll understand. I'm painting beauty with the ashes. Your life is in my hands. Lift your hands, lift your eyes, in the storm is where you'll find me. And where you are, I'll hold your heart. I'll hold your heart. Come to me, find your rest, in the arms of the God who won't let go. The chorus goes, so when you're on your knees, an answer seems so far away. You're not alone. Stop holding on. And just be held. Your world's not falling apart. It's falling into place. I'm on the throne. Stop holding on. And just be held. Just be held. I know there are plenty of scriptures that talk about us holding him. And I know that we should hold him. I know we should hold him dear. It should be a loving comfort embrace that we hold him. His hold is much stronger than that. But that's because he's God. That's because he's the Lord of hosts. That's why his grip is much stronger than ours. It's a beautiful thing to be held, and I pray that you can rest in knowing that he is holding us and that he will never let us go. Your grip doesn't have to be that good. You should spend time embracing him rather than 
holding on to something that you can't allow to get away. It's not really about your grip anyway, is it? It's something you were given, and therefore you're to hold on to. You're to remember it. You're to keep it in your mind. You're to judge it. You're to guide it. You're to read about it. You're to embrace the Lord. But our holding on is nothing like His. Remember, we're in the hand of God. The Father and God the Son. God the Father gave us to God the Son. That's in... uh, uh, John chapter 17 Thou gavest them to me Thine they were but in the mine they are Sometime in eternity God the Father had a people And he gave them to God the Son But that doesn't negate that God the Father Still has us in his hand Because he's the Father of all He's the Father of our brother the Lord Jesus Christ I know he goes on to say that I and my Father are one. And there's a lot in that verse. A lot in that verse that can be taught about a lot. But we'll talk this morning only about one thing in closing. God the Father gave God the Son a people. And both of them are holding on to us. And no man can pluck you out of their hand. I pray that that gives you comfort. I pray that that gives you peace. I pray that this was a blessing. I hope uh, that each and every one of you have a wonderful day today. This evening, Brother Bob will give us the word. If you would, let's go into prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this wonderful truth. This truth.